Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. I'm your host, Lara Salyer. This episode is really interesting. It's sort of like unwrapping a present of magic that you can't even understand. But the more you think about it, the more magical it becomes. And what I'm talking about is AI, is artificial intelligence, is the future of healthcare. Listen, we all know healthcare is crumbling. Doctors are burning out. People are leaving medicine. It's no longer the passionate career choice for smart and empathetic individuals. When we sign up for our career in healthcare, we know it's going to be laborious. It's going to be lots of typing and clicking. And well, we don't need to go through the history of healthcare. But this guest, Mr. Medi Medsunia, has been in healthcare for only a short time. He's actually been a serial entrepreneur, thought leader, and CEO of OneHealth.io. He has over 20 years of experience disrupting market segments, and this is what we need. We need some disruption. And what he's doing is he's bringing AI to healthcare. Prior to founding One Health, he was SVP of products and services at Cafe Press, where he grew the company to over $130 million in sales. And before Cafe Press, he served as CEO at Rafter, CEO at BookRenter.com, COO at Actians, and SVP at IntelliSync. Mr. Magsunia is an industry fellow at UC Berkeley, where he teaches innovation and entrepreneurship. He earned his BS in EECS from the University of California, Berkeley, and his MS from Stanford with an emphasis in AI and machine learning. Okay, listen here. This interview is so interesting because we're going to talk about why healthcare needs to level up and how other industries have already embraced technology. And it's time for healthcare to have a little bit more self-serving. We do. We talk about tests and what One Health can do. You'll learn why this platform, which by the way is free, can help doctors, nurses, clinicians make decision-making a snap. And I really think it could make a decent dent in the burnout epidemic. I really believe One Health can make our jobs a lot easier so we no longer have the burden of making sure prior auths go through, making sure the tests are ordered correctly, that the patient follows through. All of these things can be helped. So listen to this lively conversation, especially around minute 28, where we get into what it takes to have creativity involved in technology and healthcare. Welcome to the Catalyst episode. This is an exciting opportunity. We are lighting up about all things AI. And in my Catalyst mentorship group, we've been recently talking about chat GPT and how it's revolutionizing. Is that even a word? I'm not sure. But it's changing how we view 
AI learning and machine learning and how it can change and disrupt our current healthcare system because it really needs some help. I mean, our current system is not sustainable. We need to bring affordable medicine to the masses, especially functional and precision health. And who do I have but Medi here? And Mr. Medi, please introduce yourself. I am so excited for this conversation, but tell tell the audience a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to launch into some great topics. Sure, sure. Well, thank you, uh, Laura, for having me here. i excited to be talking to you today. Uh, my background is uh, I actually studied uh, machine learning AI at Berkeley uh, and then Stanford uh, many, many years ago and got into high tech, um, you know, about 20 plus years ago, uh, building uh, platforms, uh, started in the whole early stages of internet, instant messaging, uh, messaging, uh, mobile, commerce, and now in healthcare. Um, very much, uh, you know, excited about the impact of technology. I've always been excited about the impact of technology. And I think uh, it's uniquely interesting to look at healthcare because it's probably one of the last uh, segments of our industry and probably the biggest that has not yet been modernized. So if you look at finance, uh, it has been modernized significantly. Uh, you know, transportation, you can buy a ticket, uh, you, know, uh, you can get an Uber ride. Uh, lots of modern platforms and approaches, Airbnb in, in housing, uh, you know, the list goes on, LinkedIn with your resume. Uh, in healthcare, we still struggle and uh, people don't believe that the majority of diagnostic results still go over fax machines uh, and, and faxes in doctor's offices. So a um, lot of room for improvement and exciting to be uh, in this industry, sort of seeing it uh, transformed over the next 10 to 15 years. It is exciting. And I love your analogies and examples that, you know, just checking in on airplanes, you have your boarding pass on your phone, you know, you can order food on your phone and have it delivered. And I mean, Tesla is changing the way we think of transportation, you can have your car drive you to your office. And yet healthcare, perfect example is the faxes. I still cannot believe that my husband who is still in primary care is having to sift through paper faxes. But I'll be honest, as much as technology is awesome, it it sometimes creates yet more things that we have to double check. So talk to me more about this fear that people have about AI in healthcare. And, and maybe you can unpack a bit and maybe reassure us that this isn't something to fear that robots are going to take over our exam rooms. No, I think, um, you know, honestly, it's a bit exaggerated today, right? Um, AI, when it becomes uh, practical, it and and usable it disappears uh, into your daily into your daily life and you take it for granted so i'm sure a lot of your listeners are already using ai systems the most likely one is your google photo application uh, if you're using google photo and it recognizes the picture of your um, you know wife husband daughter son and he asks you is this the same person that's a that's an algorithm that is learning what a face looks like and is prompting you do you want me to put this picture into the same bucket for the same person and you just seamlessly say yes 
and you're not frightened, you don't run away from the AI algorithm, you actually find it extremely, absolutely, you know, um, sort of useful, you say, great, it's organizing my pictures, I can quickly look up uh, a picture of my grandmother or my aunt on my phone, and go back 10 years and see what they look like uh, when they were younger. Um, so, so I think when AI works, we, we, we just use it. This the same as, as Waze or Google Map. It's using an algorithm to learn about traffic. It's giving you feedback and, and you're actually very happy that it's doing so. Um, so, so in healthcare, we are very far away from that. Right. <laughs> so, so think of healthcare as the basic infrastructure in healthcare is still not functional from a technology perspective. And, and so we are probably 10 years away from those AI applications seamlessly fitting within your healthcare experience. And I think people, people typically get excited in industries and they think they go from zero to 60 mile overnight. In healthcare, we just started building basic infrastructure. Yep. So think of healthcare is where your, your map application was 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, you, some of your users were probably going online and using simple map applications like MapQuest. Right. You know, which most of your younger listeners don't remember, but- They don't remember printing out maps, know, no. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's very far away from the reality of your Google map today. So I think right. healthcare you in those early stages and um, and and so I wouldn't worry about AI with focus on basic stuff like can we just get access to people's records real time, uh, you know, on the spot. Like if you go to a doctor and the doctor wants to see every single test you've done in the past 10 years, they should be able to. Oh, right there. I need a pause. Yes. Yes. Right there. That is the best idea. And, And I agree with you that I feel like we're in the crunch of uncomfortable dark time when it comes to implementing technology in healthcare. We can see how it could be amazingly useful, but right now all it's done has made the doctors more stressed because instead of faxes, maybe they have 50 million inbox messages. And and so we're in this crunch where the pendulum hasn't quite swung all the way to where it's easeful for us. But I see those applications. I mean, a lot of patients don't realize We've been using a version of AI to read pap smears for years. I mean, nobody, we used to look at every single slide and have a a human look at your pap smear. And we don't do that. We haven't done that in forever. Now a computer looks at this and you get more accurate results. And then a human checks it to make sure it's accurate. And that's where the comfort of AI has been wonderful for diagnostics. And we just need it to make it easier for the UI, the user experience where the patient can come, like you said, to a doctor's office and the doctor can click and see your medical records and then we can find things easier. So what would you say is is that role of diagnostic testing in healthcare? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. Almost 90% of any decision you make in healthcare comes after you see the test results. It's the most significant data set. Uh, by far, it's uh, you know highly uh, trusted. So unlike uh, self-reported data, test results are trusted by physicians, is trusted by clinicians. Uh, so when you look at healthcare, uh, getting access to test results is fundamental to making the right care decision. Um, for example, today, people are put on medication, and we know 
that uh, you know we prescribe over uh, 100 million medications in the U.S. that are not effective because data already shows that uh, your genetic uh, impacts how your body consumes medication, how fast it metabolizes, what kind of medication has impact on it. So every day in the U.S., people are put on a medication that is wrong for them, given their their um, so genetic composition. And the only reason we don't catch that is because people don't get tested. Um, so we are spending uh, lots of money on the wrong medication and potentially impacting people's care pathway. Uh, the same is true of, of cancer patients. We know that if you're lucky enough to be uh, in, a, in a hospital system where they have advanced genetic testing, they can identify your tumor type and put you on the right treatment pathway. But if you're in a, a clinic or setting where you don't have access to that advanced testing as a cancer patient, uh, you will not know what this specific type of cancer tumor you might have. And then the care decision they're making for you, um, you know, is not based on the, on the best data. Uh, so diagnostic testing is critical, and the problem we have in the in the states today and in the world in general, and we saw this with COVID, access to testing is just fragmented. Uh, it's not easy. It is not uh, you know sort of distributed uh, in a way that's very equitable. Uh, and honestly, even when you get tested, getting that information to flow in the healthcare system is just difficult. Absolutely. And expected, uh, even even as of, you know, I think everybody in the U.S. experienced this, people had to carry their COVID reports in their phones and hands and print it to get on flights. I mean, we just don't have the right systems in place, um, you know, to, to handle diagnostic testing at the scale that we're doing it today. And by the way, we do 14 billion tests a year in the U.S. Right. And then when we pause and reflect on that, I feel like testing is a nice first step, but it's not the only step because I feel like we have information overload. We're oversaturated. People go from doctor to doctor to doctor getting all these tests or now direct to consumer testing, which unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, gives the patient more information. But sometimes that's not good medicine. You know, they need that doctor, that human to say, you know, we may not need that test. You know, you can probably get by with these three and not these 20. Um, and, and so having that first step of clarity with the testing is great, but you still need that human, that human to put it together for a patient and say, don't worry, that flag that you see that's marked high in your case, it's actually okay. Cause there's a bell-shaped curve. You know, I think a lot of our patients and physicians and practitioners slip into that black and white thinking that it's either or, but it's yes. And it is, yes, we have these tests, but we also, and need a human. Um, so how would you say, you know, what does this precision medicine mean to you? Yeah, I actually, what we're doing at one health is really simple, which is the average doctor today is overwhelmed, right? They have, they don't have time. They're, they're pushed to spend uh, less and less time with each patient and just look at diagnostics as an area where we are focused. There are over uh, 12,000 different tests available and it's, it's, being, it's growing at about a test a day, right, in the US. Like labs are putting out new tests every day, new science. Um, and, and so what we're doing simply is just giving a platform to doctors that shows them for a given condition, what are the latest tests for that condition, but also which ones are 
paid for by insurance and which ones are ordered most often by your peers and other physicians. That clinical decision support itself is just a world of difference versus today where the doctor says, you, you walk in and you have a certain condition and the doctor has to keep up reading papers every night as to what's the latest, you know, test done around the human microbiome or, you know, virus, uh, certain viruses that are in your systems. Like just keeping up with that science is just yes. That sounds amazing, honestly, because you're ex- describing the ideal situation as, as you know, I graduated in 2000 and, you know, we're required to go to CME or continuing conferences to yeah. make sure we're up to date. And what you're describing is this beautiful synergy of saying it is impossible for every human to be up to date with current medical research and current literature. No doctor can do that yet. We are, you know, the attorneys and the lawyers and the medical malpractice puts us on this pedestal that we have to make zero mistakes. And that's, that's causing burnout and stress and people, you know, committing suicide, all these things that are horrible in healthcare. Yeah. And and you you have physicians that are really good people. They, They have the best of intention and what's being asked of them is impossible without the right tools. Right. And you're providing just, this platform that makes it possible to say with yeah. assurance, hey, this has looked at all the similar scenarios and the current testing that we have. And I can't understand why somebody wouldn't want this platform. It sounds like it would ease a lot of burden on their mind that they, and, they don't need on, to research. And on top of it, just imagine the, the rest of the complexity. So not only you, you don't know what the right test is, but let's assume you do. Then all the surprises downstream, meaning you order that test and and you have to figure out as a physician and you only have like a minute or two, is this lab within network? Is there a surprise billing for the patient? Does the insurance cover it? What's out of pocket? Like there's so many questions for you to just, you know, provide that testing to your patient without that patient getting frustrated with you. Right. All those things should be solved, right? So the doctor's responsibility should be, I'm just going to order this test and I'm going to have somebody else deal with the journey. And the journey might be complex, meaning for some of these tests, there are 14 steps involved. And they're expecting a a physician with their staff to handle all of this complexity with the lab, the insurance, the patient, answer this question, collect this information. All that is, is sort of manually being managed by these uh, you know, physician offices, which is very complex and time consuming. So in some of these cases, not only the patient gets frustrated, the doctor actually is losing money. The right. doctor is spending more time tracking things right. than, than providing care, right? And, and our, you know, since we're measured on, you know, how satisfied our patients are, we're the front facing aspect of this. So they assume that it's our mistakes and we should not, and there's no way you can keep up to date on every insurance plan. So it, it's kind of a lose-lose situation yeah, where the, nobody's happy. You know, the, the analogy that I give is like trying to, you know, doctors are being asked to like be the pilot of a plane without systems. And, and a, serve the drinks. A thousand people show up to the front of your plane and the pilot has to stand there and say, okay, everybody show me your ticket. Like without systems, that pilot would be overwhelmed to just fly. And, and there are so many systems supporting that pilot. We check for, for your passport. We automatically check you in. We check your luggage. We track your luggage. We put it. I mean, all these systems are designed for that plane to take off. Now, a doctor sits there and a thousand patients show up to their office. 
and they essentially have almost no support infrastructure. Like there's, there's right. support all these people and, and everybody in the process is frustrated, right? The insurance company is, is, is frustrated. The doctor is frustrated. The patient is frustrated. Right. And these systems are missing um, on basic stuff. You know, it's missing in diagnostics. It's missing on, on uh, medication. It's missing on imaging. All of these areas need to be better automated. And, and all we are doing at One Health, just focusing on diagnostics, which, by the way, is, is very, very important. but a small part of the whole healthcare system, right? Right. So an average doctor is dealing with like six or seven of these systems, right? They have to deal with your medication, with your testing, you know, with your uh, sort of food and nutrition. They have to deal with your stress and sleep. <laughs> I right. guess the other factors they have to deal with where they don't have appropriate systems right now. But this is a fantastic disruptor in our healthcare system because what you're providing is not just a solution of a platform that allows all this cross-referencing and comparison and making sure that this machine learning is up to date. This I see is life-saving to doctors for career longevity. Um, it is too frustrating now to be a doctor in our healthcare system that's crumbling um, because the insurance plans change. And I can't even tell you how many weeks or months you lose because you're just trying to play the prior authorization game. And and, and that's at the expense of patient health. They're waiting for a prescription or they need to try another one. And if you provided a platform that eased that and gave you a solution right away and said, this is the one that will be covered with the least copay, um, that sounds like magic. Yeah. And, and we're actually trying to attack all those issues, right? So we're trying to do insurance verification for you around uh, that patient and their test requirements, pre-authorization for that test. So all of those issues we are trying to solve within the platform for you. So when you enter the patient, not only you know what's the best test to order, which of the labs you should order to, which labs perform the best around you, but also which ones are covered and do you need pre-authorization for this test or not. So we're trying to answer all of those questions uh, for the participants. But if you if you go in deeper into the platform, we have encoded and understanding of every test in the U.S. So our platform understands when you order a test, uh, what you're ordering and what the steps required are to get that test done, but also to get paid by insurance for that test, which is key because a lot of the frustration is you order that test, it goes to the lab, the lab performs a test and the insurance doesn't end up paying the lab because they say, well, you missed to, to enter a, fall, a set of information that was required for this test. So we're capturing all these requirements for every test. And then we're making sure that as part of that journey, we help everybody involved to get to a successful you know, completion of that test. That's amazing. So what I understand you're saying is you're probably capturing the correct ICD 10 coding for the diagnoses to make sure that because that happens all the time you think the test should be covered and it's not you know we capture the icd code coding we capture uh, patient information required we capture attestation we capture um you know in certain cases a genetic counselor needs to be involved in certain states there needs to be a government reporting the regulations are so fragmented that you know to put in perspective uh, my team has been coding uh, and encoding these rules for four years. Wow. And, and, and 
we are probably the most complete platform, but we're still incomplete. <laughs> wow, right. Well, okay, so let's get granular and detailed because I have listeners that are both still employed in a system in a hospital in a, you know a community setting as an employee maybe they're a doctor nurse practitioner pa i also have independent holistic functional practitioners that are running their own clinic in a very small uh, micro practice way so how would either of those types of practitioners engage in one health what does it look like on their end yeah so today we we license our platform to labs and and labs give our platform to their customers which are both independent physicians and clinics for free so if you uh experience one health you often are experiencing it because one of your lab partners uh signed you up on one health for free and wow. we are the ordering system for that lab so the way we are approaching the market today is labs license our platform, and then they give that to the physician, they give that oh, to the clinic. That's um, a beautiful present. Yeah, because, because the labs essentially are saying, I know your life is hard and I want to make it easier. So here's a system for ordering that is an intelligent ordering system, right? So how can a physician check if their lab is involved with One Health? Uh, they would they would get an invitation. The office would get an invitation to join uh, the One Health platform. So One Health is a single network, very similar to the internet. Mm -hmm. So once you join One Health, you would know you have joined One Health. Your office would be logging into One Health. They would see all of the labs they use. They would see wow. all the orders. It's a single system covering all of our lab partners and all the testing involved. So once you log into One Health, you, you just get one account as a physician, you log in, you can actually order to any of the labs on our platform, you can watch any of the tests, and you get real time data on that test, meaning you would know if the lab got the sample, you would know when they completed it, you would know if the patient didn't answer certain questions, you know if the insurance is asking for something, all that information would be you know, visible to you in your dashboard. So you can at any moment go in and say, oh, 30% of my test orders have been collected and are at the lab. 70% are held by FedEx and on their way. You can see all of your data set in your dashboard. That's incredible. That is like yeah. so incredible. I feel like um, giddy because as a student, you know, I can imagine myself 25 years ago as a young medical student wishing we had this kind of futuristic technology to just know at a snapshot what is going on. So now I'm jealous. If if I am an independent physician, is it possible for an independent physician um, to get their own profile? Yeah, actually it's free. You can you can uh, go to One Health and join as a physician for free. We don't charge. Uh, so our model is um, it, it's it's like it's like join it's like going online to check to see if your friend's flight is late. Right. So if you join One Health as a physician, you can order, you can check the status of those orders from those labs. So it is a free system that shows what the state of diagnostics are across all of our lab network. Oh and, my goodness! And, and we want it, and and you would love this, and we are essentially giving you that aggregate result information to physicians. Like you can actually look uh, in our system and ask our system, you know, how many people. Uh, you know, did this test and had the following results. So you get this aggregated picture of diagnostics, oh which physicians really need because 
you know, just imagine that you see a patient and you're wondering, has anybody else seen this test result in the yes. U.S. in the past 24 hours? Yes. Oh, hours? this is so great. It's like Christmas. I mean, it is just because I can see that this also is going to help a lot of the medical malpractice lawsuits. It, it has such a ripple effect as you learn more and more about the, the types of testing and as the machine learning keeps getting better and better and we see um, things that get missed and things that are, you know, common patterns, that is only going to improve healthcare and also hopefully improve patient health, which is the bottom line, <clears throat> and also improve the number of malpractice lawsuits because what we can do is say, listen, we are we are up to date. We're doing the best we can. You can't get more up to date than a computer who is able to cast that wide net and pull in all the research and the current literature. So this is phenomenal. Yeah, no, I, I I actually think healthcare is is in a very exciting stage. I, I sort of feel like the early days of internet. Right, I was yeah. I was lucky enough to be there when um, you know we released the first. Uh, you know, sort of uh, internet uh, infrastructure out of UC Berkeley, and and you could see what connectivity could do. Obviously, we didn't imagine we all would be sitting on an iPhone. <laughs> but if you ask researchers back then, you know, in in the in the nineteen nineties, early nineteen nineties, people could see, wow, you could connect every computer and every TV and every fridge. The, the notion of connectivity was was very obvious. In healthcare, the same thing is happening. It's very early stage. But I think you're gonna healthcare that you experience today and what you're gonna experience 15 years from now is gonna be radically different. Because Agreed. once you let information flow, once you let things connect, uh amazing innovation creativity comes out of it that we can't even imagine today. Um yes. we are too siloed today, right? The information is just too locked down. It's not visible. It's not easy to access. And you see this with Google. The fact that you can search anything on Google today has enabled concepts you didn't think about. Oh, my like, goodness. Like GPT chat you just mentioned. That That's yeah. basically an algorithm having access to a lot of information online to right. learn how to speak or write. Right. Right. It's it's like Pandora's box is open and it's going to take a while for us to sift through how to use it effectively, smart, with a you know, the best results for everybody. And I'm an optimist like you. I think that this is going to get better. I think healthcare is in the worst state right now because we are still yeah. in the stone ages with our technology. There's different epic systems, different rollouts, different hospitals. They can't talk to each other. I know this firsthand. My husband's still in the thick of it. This is why people are still miserable because when you talk to them about more computer stuff, they just shut down and say, I hate it. It hasn't been good because it hasn't been good, but it's going to get better. And oh, it's going to get better. Yeah, it's, it's going, going to get, get a lot better. better. Yeah, I think you're 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 exactly in the in the end of this dark tunnel, and the light is clearly visible. And and very similar to the early days of enterprise software, if you were um, in an enterprise like Procter and Gamble, 1993, you were being forced to use a computer, uh, most likely an IBM yes. uh, enterprise, uh, you know, management system, and you hated it. Yes. It was it was yes. clunky, it was difficult, but your manager walked up to you and said, you know, we are yep. we just need to track how many peanut butters or whatever yeah. package we sold in in Safeway in North Dakota and, and you need to track that. And and you were like being forced to use this computer system that was really difficult. 
And then it took 10 years, and now you have very sophisticated systems across all segments of the enterprise, right? Marketing, logistics, tracking. Um, healthcare is exactly that that in that stage, right? Um, right. Being forced to use Epic. Yes. Uh, you know, and- which... Um, you know, it's trying to do too many things at once. It, yes. And, and you're hitting this sweet spot of neuroscience that I love when we talk about our brain. I mean, there's such a thing as cognitive reserve where you're fresh, you want to make decisions. You're, you want to use the highest skill that you've trained for. And when you're busy draining your brain with all these low value tasks throughout the day, like clicking and typing and what you're no wonder you don't feel like doing your job. And what you're doing is gifting this this second brain to people. And it's awesome because I think you're just going to get better clinicians, better doctors, better nurses. I I totally agree. I think, I think being a doctor right now is hard. 10 years from now, it would be a delight. It is. It'll be a delight because that's yeah. what we all signed up for. We did, we signed up to be doctors, to inspire, to work with people, to use our creativity and, and be a unique clinician. And right now we're just robots. So we're like the human robots entering things in. And pretty soon with the onset of One Health and all the wonderful tools, it'll just be so fun to finally and, be able and, to and be you can focus on the real problem at hand, which is your patient. I think, I think 10 years from now, doctors will actually get to practice. Yes. Uh, medicine in a way that they were meant to, meaning like all the information is at their fingertips. Yeah, They have access to things, the complexity is hidden from them. And then they get to actually focus on, okay, how do I solve this patient's problem? I agree. It'll, it'll be almost like a parallel world. I'm old enough that I remember the days before mandated computer charting and electronic medical records where I was a young student shadowing other attendings that had been a doctor for decades and they had little paper charts and they could just shout down the hallway. Okay. To the nurse, can you get Mr. Jones's blood work ordered for me? And like, it was a seamless, very flowy presence because they enjoyed their day. They could work seamlessly and they had all their team members helping but with the onset of computer records, the doctor has to be the one to enter and time date stamp everything. And it suddenly is like the pilot analogy that you had said earlier. We have to fly the plane, serve the drinks, check the passport, load the luggage, and it's not sustainable. Yeah, but also I think, you know, we have we have advanced the science so much. I mean, the, the amount, you know, just on the amount of information we're getting uh across the healthcare system once you tap into that i don't think you can compare it to the past meaning the past was you know maybe it was simple but it was also very um uh, you know there wasn't a lot of capabilities right True. in 10 years from now not only it would be simple but you have access to amazing capabilities right right the same thing as you can't compare what you have with google today with going to a library, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Yeah, you had those books on the shelf, but you couldn't get to them. <laughs> yes. like, the notion that in healthcare, you have a lot of this advances, but the average doctor can't get to it today. Like yes. they just don't know, right? The, the amount of innovation happening is so fast. And the the pathway, the, the accessibility to is impossible, meaning you know, I still run to, into physicians today that just don't know that there are these diagnostic tests available in the market. Right. Because the market, the market is broken, right? You, you're expecting someone, it is literally like going to a library saying, yes, that information is in a book. It's on the third floor, but you have no access to it and, and good luck, you know. Right. 
Right. And then, and then I feel like the second tidal wave will come once the physicians and clinicians have access to this and have a ready, a very easy navigation to get this information. The second wave of overwhelm will no longer be, where do I find the test? How do I understand it? What can I know? The second wave is the bottleneck of the dealing with anxiety from patients, because that's what I see happening a lot with the direct to consumer trends where a patient will just get a test and then they become anxious and then they flood their physicians, you know, inbox with the, the messages and the concerns and they're not sure. And so then we've got to, to handle that second tidal wave. And what are your thoughts on like direct to consumer testing? Yeah, it's a, in general, uh, when you advance an industry, uh, self-service becomes an important factor, right? So, so you used to get your ticket from a ticket travel agency and you didn't know how to book things. And then, you know, systems came online and you learn how to book things, right? So, um, so I think as, as you advance technology in an industry, access to, to those services become more and more available and, and viable. And, so I think it, there's room for it. Uh, obviously, you cannot do everything yourself. You need an expert involved. Uh, so I think that the the two ends of the industry have to evolve. More of healthcare has to become self-service uh, because people, you know, there are people who are very remote and have no access to good doctors, right? I'm sitting in the mountains of Montana and I want to test myself and there's no physician in 25 miles. So you should provide access online to anybody who wants to provide self-care. Um, and then at the same time, in most cases, you need an expert and you should arm those experts to also have really good systems to take care of, of the patients. So I don't think it's mutual. I think healthcare is massive and you need both. Um, you know, 3% of diagnostics today are, are direct-to-consumer, it's very small. Uh, 97% of testing is done within a clinical setting. And, and that 3% that's done out of pocket direct to consumer tends to be mostly what I call um, sort of fun testing, right? You know, learn about your 23andMe or learn about your, your uh, food sensitivity or, or uh, other aspects. Um, so it's not, it's not meant to be very uh, sort of serious clinical testing. And I think it should it should continue to grow. People should get educated. Uh, you know, similar to what medication you learn, you see a lot of advertisement. You can go to Walgreens or, or CVS and buy medication, but there's only a certain amount you can buy over the counter. At some point, you have to decide: okay, do I need a prescription because it's a more serious right. engagement? Well, and so, I I don't you, think. Yeah. And I, I guess I don't even think anybody has the answer. I'm just very curious how the future will look because I see it that these tests that can be available direct to consumer, I can see the need for making more of this accessible. Like you said, for the isolated, the rural, the people that don't have access, they need information. But I also see the flip side that that isn't going to help in their hands either if they don't have access to an expert that can help them interpret it correctly. Um, there's so much information out there. People may misinterpret and think they're having some horrible disease when it really is just a unique you know, expression of their epigenetics or whatever it is. It's sort of like the iPhone. My daughter can take extravagant, and my husband, extravagant pictures with their iPhone. 
in my hands, it's worthless. I don't take very good pictures. So the same can be said of testing. It really depends on that person who can help you interpret the testing. And again, I don't think there's a right answer or wrong. I'm just so curious how the future looks. Do you have anything in your future ball that you think is going to happen in the next 10 years? No, I, I generally, um, and, and I, you know, 20 years ago when I got into technology, I decided that the best thing to do is to give the tools to people and let people be creative and innovative, right? Uh, judging as a technologist, uh, it's like for me to sit here and, and make judgment that you deserve to have a, a shovel for digging a hole, but then you don't because you might dig the wrong hole. It's a bit arrogant, right? So mm -hmm. our job is to provide the technology and reality is when you do, there are going to be people who misuse it and there are people who are going to surprise you and build a castle with that shovel. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, so I think, you know, you should, you should just try to advance and provide better tools to people and hope that society learns to regulate its dark side. Yeah. So, well, and, and yeah, speaking of the dark side, if you're listening as we're regulating and learning these new tools and we're opening it up, Here's a message to all the attorneys out there and to my medical malpractice insurance premiums. I can see that we can get a little break. It'd be nice to have a little break in that. You know, if we're held to these high standards and we're unleashing these tools, we need to have some kind of, you know, new, uh, I guess, addendums to these contracts because it's a little crazy to be a doctor out there and, and held to those standards when now everyone's going to have access to these other testing. That's why it's going to be an exciting future. Where would you like One Health to be in five years? You know, if we can, uh, uh, you know, we focus on how many uh, tests and test results are to be delivered. So uh, the more we make testing accessible to consumers and to physicians, uh, that's a success for us. So we measure ourselves by just the number of patients we have tested, the number of physicians that are using our platform. And as I mentioned, uh, we do about 14 billion tests a year in the US. Uh, so if you can, you know, continue to grow to become a significant percentage of that volume, we think we are succeeding. Um, you know, it's the same way that uh, I'm sure Google looks at the number of searches people do on, on search or Uber looks at the number of rights people take. We look at the number of tests that we, we are managing and, and if we make that easier and, and uh, more pleasant for the, for the participants. Uh, so we did about 4 million uh, diagnostic tests in 21, and we're trying to continue to grow that um, as, as we go forward. That's amazing. That is amazing. This has been an exciting talk. I feel like I still am left with a lot of questions, but I have no doubt this is not the only time that our worlds will overlap because healthcare needs this kind of technology. And I'm glad that you're the type of person bringing it to everybody. Not only is it free, which is still mind boggling, but I can only imagine it's going to get better and better. And I do have, before we, we, we close, I have one final question. You seem like a, a serial entrepreneur dreamer type. You've made a lot of things happen and you're certainly helping healthcare get stepping up to technology and and the future what do you do to anchor yourself every day what do you do to kind of remind yourself of your presence in this world do you have any routines or rituals that you use to anchor yourself yeah actually very good question so i'm a i'm a uh, obviously a, a sort of a nerd by training right i, I love 
learning and 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 thinking through problems. Um, and you know, I so I do what I love doing. I, I don't I don't consider this a job. I consider this like a like a privilege, a hobby, right? Um, but what anchors me is really my family and and you know my kids. It's um, to me, if you can leave the world better than we found it, uh, makes me happy. And I'm constantly looking to see am I part of that improvement. Um, and and sometimes, honestly, some of the technology that I have built worries me. Like I was very fundamentally into instant messaging and the social network technologies uh, 15 years ago, and now I'm looking at some of the impact. And I'm you know it sort of makes you question like is it uh, are we always helping, or in some of, some of these cases, maybe we need better regulation and better uh, oversight because some of the technologies might be misused, right? Sure, sure. Um, so, so I, I'm still an optimist. I like to push technology and, and innovation, uh, but as I get older, I'm worried that um, some of the policies and some of our understanding uh, is not keeping up with the rate of innovation. Um, so right. uh, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about. It's like, do we need to at the same time uh, have better educated, uh, you know, policymakers who have a deeper understanding of how fast the environment is changing? Um, that, that, that to me is one of the things that I worry about as I, as I get older. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense that, you know, you're part of the future and dreamers, but you're anchored into reality, you know, and I think that comes with wisdom and age and being a parent myself, you know, I I'm with you there. I see all the things happening and our brains are just not meant for all this fast change, but we're in the middle of it and it's a roller coaster ride. And I'm grateful for One Health. I am excited to, to showcase this and have everybody learn more. So where can we find you on social media and your website? It's, uh, it's all under onehealth.io. Um, you're on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And um, so you can, my team posts often uh, as we sort of add customers and, and expand into new markets. Yeah, so you can just follow us on all of those channels uh, on onehealth.io. That is beautiful. And for those listening, it's one as in the numerical one health.io. And thank you, Mehdi Megsunia. This is wonderful. And, and it was such an interesting conversation. I am going to go check it out. And thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to inspire us for better health care. We definitely need to catalyze these small, tiny changes to paint a better work-life masterpiece for all clinicians and patients in this world. And you're a part of it. So thank you. I really appreciate Laura for, for uh, having, uh, you know, the interest and the time that you spend with us. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing as a physician who survived my own burnout by prescribing creativity. Now I teach others how to apply the neuroscience of flow to redesign their work-life masterpiece in a world where burnout will always exist until one health is more mainstream. And until technology can help us get right in step with living a creative and passionate career in medicine, join me. I've got other tools to help you with time management, with creativity, with flow, while we wait for the world to catch up. And cultivating flow takes practice. 
So I'd love to have you follow along in my three-step system that you can learn in my AHA Flow Infused Time Management Guide. This free downloadable guide will help you anchor, highlight, and activate flow channeling methods so that you can bend time and find more joy in your day. Go to drlarasalier.com forward slash links and download your free time management guide.